Roll a strength check to ring the bell, sucker. This is Movie Fighters, the show where Chris Sims and I, Matt Wilson, we watch movies and we beat them up. And Chris, it's April. The the cruelest month, traditionally. The cruelest month indeed. Last month, a film came out that we both went to see and we enjoyed quite a bit. That film was called Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Uh huh. Directed by the directing team and writing team from the extremely underrated comedy film Game Night. Uh, no, I am unfamiliar. Uh, you should you should watch Game Night. It's very fun. Is it like Gamer, the Gerard Butler movie, where a like it's esports, but uh, there's a guy controlling an actual dude? No, it's nothing like that at all. Yeah, people don't remember Gamer, the film where Gerard Butler is is the Doom guy. People don't remember that. No. People also, some people know about Game Night. Not everyone knows about Game Night. It is, it, it is a very funny movie that also is like a crime thriller at the same time. Sort of a genre mashup, and that's what the new Dungeons and Dragons movie kind of is too, because it is a fantasy comedy that also feels like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Mm-hmm. Also, one of the two directors is the kid from Freaks and Geeks. Okay, John Francis Daly. He was the kid in Freaks and Geeks. Oh, just okay. interesting. Yeah, just interesting. some interesting trivia. I, I liked that movie a lot. There was one weird thing about it. Chris, do you, do you, do you want to guess what I think the one weird thing about that movie was? The, the one weird trick? Yeah. I would hesitate to even guess, Matt. What is up with that movie's depiction of dwarves? What, The Honor Among Thieves? Yeah. There aren't any dwarves in Honor Among Thieves. There are... Wait, so... I thought there were dwarves. Nah, bud. Who... Okay. The halfling. The halflings are, like... uh, Okay, so I missed the part with the introduction of Holga's husband. He's a halfling, not a dwarf. He's a halfling, yeah. Yeah, he's not a dwarf. That makes more sense. Okay, so there are yeah. no, there are no dwarves in that movie at all. No, there there are no uh, like dwarves in that movie, uh, which okay. is odd because they are kind of the like one of the original like D and D things. But honestly, if you want to see dwarves in a movie, you've got options. True, true. There's six of them that you can go watch right now. I guess that's why they chose not to do that. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that. In in the core cast of that movie, we've got uh, three humans and a tiefling. There's a half elf. Th- that's right. He's a half elf. He's a yeah. he's a half elf. Yeah. Uh, so two humans, uh, a tiefling, and a half elf. We do see dragonborn, uh, tabaxi, uh, and a couple of other like more more of the more recent uh, player species. Which I thought was was fun, yeah. but I'm kind of surprised that we didn't see. I, I guess it's an easier sell if everybody looks relatively human. Well, all the classes 
in the movie are like not what you would think of as like first tier classes. Right. We've got a, a wild magic sorcerer. A wild magic a sorcerer. The a, a druid. Chris Pine is a bard. He's a bard, but I don't think he's a bard. I think he's a rogue. He's a he's, bard. Well, he plays he, he he plays an instrument, but he never casts any magic. But he also never does any rogue stuff. He gets a sneak attack at one point. <laughs> but the thing is, Hugh Grant's a rogue. Hugh Grant's a rogue, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Michelle Rodriguez is a barbarian. Barbarian, yeah. Yeah. Like, the the only kind of, like, yeah, like, top-level class in the whole movie is Hugh Grant is a rogue. That's Yeah, we don't we don't get a wizard, a fighter. I guess we get, like, there there is a red wizard of Thay in there, but that's not a that's not a player thing. Yeah, and and is like the lead villain of the whole movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I do I do love the paladin who is obviously the DM's character. Yes. Played by Bridgerton. Who uh ignores all the jokes that the players are constantly saying. Because <laughs> he's trying to get you motherfuckers to listen to the information. <laughs> and then he walks away in a straight line. The most sympath like the the Best thing about that movie, they figured out how to put things that were uniquely D&D in it. Like, yes. the DM having a character show up who's way better and way cooler than all of you, and ha- who talks like he's in D&D, ignores all your little jokes, and has to explain the entire plot. And then, when it's time for him to leave the party, he j- he just leaves. Just leaves. Just walks away in a straight line, which I yes. think is very funny. Yeah. Th- like, that movie... Matt, I'm setting you up for a segue. That movie did such an amazing job more than anything else. Because plot-wise, I think it's fine. It does have, like, literally the exact same ending as Avengers. (laughs) True. Like, which, that's fine. It's still fucking funny. It did a better job, more than anything else, of capturing what is unique about playing D&D. In that there's, like, oh, that's that's the DM's character. Like that, who's perfect and better than you, and is actually going to do the hard work here. Oh, th- this character just remembered they had this ability. This character fucked up, and now there's no way to get past this trap without fudging something real quick. Uh, this character, I did not intend to be important, and when you ask his name, his name is Jonathan. <laughs> like, it did a really good job of capturing all of that stuff. Well, Chris, you know what movie didn't do any of that? I do know what movie didn't do that, Matt. The first movie called Dungeons and Dragons from 2000, which is the movie we are watching on the show. Because what better time to go back and watch the movie that Empire Magazine ranked as the 39th worst movie of all time? That's... I mean, that's... I'm not going to say that's that's inaccurate, but it's also like, man, there's a lot of bad movies, y'all. Come on. 39th worst movie of all time, according to the readers of Empire Magazine, 2000's Dungeons and Dragons, which had a budget of $45 million. And that's in 2000 money. That's in 2000 money. Do you want to guess what the budget of Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves was? 180 million. 150 million. 
So roughly three times more. Now, you know, adjusting for inflation or everything, I don't I don't know what that would be. I can look up two thousand dollars to twenty twenty three dollars. I would say even with inflation, considerably cheaper mm-hmm. than the new movie. Uh let's see, forty five dollars and two thousand dollars compared to it would be seventy eight dollars today. So still twice as much budget for the new movie than compared to the old movie. Yeah. Also, this movie from 2000, not a ton of name actors in it. Marlon Wayans is in it as Snails. Jeremy Irons is in it as the mage Profion. He sure is. Thora Birch is in this, kind of before she broke out as like a known actress. Mm-hmm. But the lead actor is Justin Whalen, who I swore, Chris, I thought was also the guy from that Dragon Ball movie. <laughs> but apparently he's a different guy. Yeah, uh, he's a Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy Olsen from the TV show. From Lois and Clark, yeah. Yeah. He was also Andy Barclay in Charles Child's Play Three. After okay. they aged him after they aged him up in that movie to be at a military academy. Child's Play Three is very bad. I wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. This movie is also directed by Courtney Solomon, who largely has worked as a film producer. This is his first movie. As a director, he's directed two other movies, An American Haunting and Getaway, starring Gerard Butler. Wait, no. Gerard Butler from Gamer? No, it was Ethan Hawke. Never mind. But interestingly about Courtney Solomon, he did not want to direct this movie. He had been trying to get this movie made as a producer for 20 years. Since the Since 1980. Well, maybe fifteen years since since some point in the eighties. Well, that what if like that's interesting because like the eighties, a, a thing people need to understand if you're not familiar with the indie is that it is more popular now than it's ever been. True, it is, and it has been growing in popularity pretty consistently for at about ten years. Like every year has been the best. Uh, like the best year for D and D for like a decade. It, uh, you can, you can probably of, mark the start of it with the first season of Stranger Things. I th- I think it's before that because okay. it's really down to like actual play. It's down to Adventure Zone and sure. Critical Role and uh, stuff like that that brought it to a much younger audience uh, and a much honestly a much queerer audience that was always kind of uh, you know involved in it, but like. People got into it because of Matt Mercer, because of Brennan Lee Mulligan, because of Griffin McElroy, like Brie Iyengar. Like there are, there's a direct correlation of people taking this thing that they really, really loved and bringing it to people. And I think yeah, that's I, really cool. I, I do too. I think it's a, I think it's a mix of that stuff, but it, it's hard to deny the effect of. Stranger Things starting in 2016 
Oh yeah, there's also that. Like, like the popular the, awareness of D and D. For sure, absolutely. I, like I think it's it's all a factor. Prior to that, D and D was kind of at its peak of popularity in the eighties during the Satanic Panic. Yeah, and that's when Courtney Solomon was trying to first get this movie made. Here is a paragraph from the Wikipedia page for this movie. Solomon blamed the quality of the film on its investors and license holders' interference, as well as his own inexperience in filmmaking. He states that he had only intended to produce the film, but was forced to direct by his investors after nearly a decade of complications dealing with TSR and Wizards of the Coast. Which that would have been a very bad time to have been dealing with TSR and Wizards of the Coast. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff with uh, uh, TSR, which was the company that originally made D&D that was then bought by Wizards of the Coast, the company that made their money off Magic the Gathering, um, which were then bought by Hasbro, a a multinational toy and media company. (laughs) Yes. He also claims that he was forced to use an older script, despite having written an updated version that fit the Dungeons & Dragons license better. I would be very curious about that, because one of the things about this movie, I saw this movie, I think, on opening night, dog. (laughs) Like, this is not my first time going through it. And I was like, you told me, like, hey, we should do D&D 2000. And I was like, I don't want to. Like, you're right, and we absolutely should. I don't want to. Because I've seen this movie, it's very bad, but it also, like, is unrecognizably D&D. Like, nothing in it... uh, Again, another great thing about Honor Among Thieves, you can watch it and be like, that's Misty Step, that's Magic Missile, she's going into a rage, that's Wild Shape. Uh, Wow, these are things I recognize that are really cool, and they're not you know, calling them out, you know, they're not saying the names of the spells as they cast them, but like, if you're in that life, you can recognize it. This came out in 2000 was also like the launch of third edition, which was a huge deal for D and uh, and, and kind of propelled it to what was then a, a big resurgence of popularity, like third edition, very big, the D 20 system. There's nothing in here that says D and D. There's nothing. It is the most generic fantasy bullshit. Chris, since you mentioned Wild Shape, I will I will say there was one moment. This is how you know that I have finally played some D&D in my life. Yes. Because there's a sequence in that movie where the tiefling druid is wild shaping like like changing form over and over and over again. And I leaned over to Marlene while that was happening, and I was like, "She's gonna have to. She would have to take a long rest before she could do Wild Shape that many times." <laughs> yeah, that was the. Uh, there were like very clickbaity articles that were like the one D and D rule that the movie ignores, and it's like it's spell slots and limited yeah. uses per day. Yeah, uh, um, and Marlene's response to that was, "What?" <laughs> and yeah, Marlene I said, played a bard. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I don't have much more to say about the making of Dungeons and Dragons 2000, but I do have some information that may, Chris, may blow your mind. Okay. Did you know 
that Dungeons and Dragons 2000 was the first movie in a trilogy. I'm surprised that they thought that it could happen. I don't mean it was the first movie in a planned trilogy. Oh, you're saying, like, well, okay, I did know that there were other D&D movies, but I didn't think they were in the same continuity at all. Because there's one that was a sci-fi channel original. Yes, there was a made-for-TV sequel called The Wrath of the Dragon God. That does, it doesn't directly continue the story, but it brings back one of the characters from this movie. Is it Justin Whalen? No, No, it was Bruce Payne's Damodar. Oh, I love Damodar. Yeah. Then, a third movie was released direct-to-DVD only in the United Kingdom in 2012. Okay. And that movie is called Dungeons & Dragons 3. That's bananas that it is it is called that. Yes. That they that they called it that. Yes. What? He, like here's what's the weirdest thing about this movie. This comes out in the year 2000. You know it comes out in the year 2001. You better just say before I make a joke that I'm going to regret Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> yeah. A, a kind of, like, if you really think about it, a kind of big gamble of a movie, right? Peter Jackson, not at the time oh, yeah. known for, like, an epic trilogy of four-hour fucking movies. A, a huge gamble of a movie, because people have been trying to make Lord of the Rings into movies for 40 years at that point, maybe 50 years at that point. And with it, it was widely considered to be unfilmable. Yeah. With a handful of like basically unknown actors propped up by Sean Astin of the Goonies and, uh, Dracula and, and Magneto. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Like, and people fucking loved it. And, like, the Harry Potter movies, like, people wanted, like, adventure fantasy, you know? Like, again, much like with superheroes, people like it. Like, people always like this stuff more than people think they do. But they weren't, they certainly didn't pull it off. There's just such a huge gulf between good and bad. Mm-hmm. Like, there's kind of no middle ground for this stuff, I feel like. Like, adventure fantasy is either great or nigh unwatchable. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm yeah. sure there are mediocre movies in the genre, but, like, I feel like when one of these movies is mediocre, it's bad. <laughs> like, it's it's almost unwatchably bad because it's boring. Yeah. So you have to really make it good for people to care. Just make it D&D. That's all, that's all, like, that is both the tricky part and the easy part, right? Like, just make it D&D. Don't just make generic fantasy. Make it D&D. Well, Chris, we will relive for you. For me, I this was my first time ever seeing 
Dungeons and Dragons 2000. So we will examine if there is any D&D to be found in the movie when we come back from a break. But before the break, we must do the hottest segment in all of podcasting. Snack situation. Chris, what are you snacking on for Dungeons and Dragons 2000? Matt, he is risen. He is, indeed. And I'll tell you what it's not risen. What has, in fact, fallen. That's the prices on Easter-themed candy. (laughs) Yep. So your boy has some half-price Reese's eggs. Buddy, I have the same thing. (laughs) Love it. Love it. (laughs) We're going to be chomping on some eggs during Dungeons & Dragons 2000. It it will be the only pleasant thing about it. Hey, Matt, uh, by the way, where are we watching this thing? It's on YouTube for free. Oh, boy. Okay. It is it is on YouTube Movies and TV for free. All right. I well, have to admit to you that I went looking for the sequels. I don't think we're going to watch them for the show, but I I am slightly curious about them. I I will say the one that was uh ma- made for the Sci-Fi Channel, I remember watching at least a little bit of it and appreciating that when uh all the characters were running somewhere, um, the Barbarian was way out in front because Barbarians have fast movement. You're saying that was more D&D than this movie. Yeah, no, this... I I know you started with 5th edition and that there are some, like, differences, but there is nothing D&D about this. Like, again, all of the main cast is human. No, no dwarves, no halflings, no elves, no nothing. Well, let's, uh, let's... See what we can find watching Dungeons and Dragons 2000. Listeners, if you want to watch along with us, as I mentioned, it is available for free on YouTube. You could just go to YouTube and search Dungeons and Dragons 2000, and there it will be. Uh, So we're going to watch Dungeons and Dragons 2000, and we're going to come back and talk about it. And we are back from watching Dungeons and Dragons from 2000. And Chris, you were largely right about how not D&D this movie is. Yeah. However, I, I, I do was, think we should... I want to talk about one thing. Uh, there, is, uh, there is a dwarf and there is an elf in the what is nominally our adventuring party who do absolutely nothing in the plot. Yeah, the elf isn't quite a member of the party. She sort of like joins up halfway through and then yeah, doesn't do that much. But there is a dwarf for sure. There there are three humans though who make up the bulk of the adventuring party. And then there are a handful of like little D&D things throughout the movie, like a couple of orcs appear at one point even though they do nothing. The most D&D thing is the appearance of a beholder 
who also does basically nothing. Like it just gets distracted and then it's gone. Yeah, they put a beholder in this and then don't like fight it. Yeah. Which is wild. That's wild, bud. Well, given the special effects in this movie, I don't know that they could have pulled it off, to be quite honest. I mean, that's, look, yeah, but like, then don't make a D&D movie. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but like, if you can't, like, do monster fights in your D&D movie, then what are you doing? Then there are some characters who don't seem to be D&D creatures, but they're not human either. Yeah, there's like a guy who looks like Despero. Yeah, there's a Majin Buu-looking dude with three eyes. And we were trying and trying to figure out what he was supposed to be. And could not figure it out. He's just... Some weird dude. There's also a guy who's just blue at one point in Dutif's Guild. Me? Are you talking about me watching this movie? Again? Uh, I mean literally blue. Like, his oh. skin is blue. Not very long into this movie, I realized what the actual inspiration for this movie may have been instead of Dungeons & Dragons the tabletop role-playing game. And that is Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And I'll point out some of the places where I think that movie inspired this one as we go. Okay. So the movie... Which is weird, because, like, the, I, I said this while we were watching. There is nothing more D&D than ripping off Star Wars. <laughs> but... If you're gonna rip off Star Wars, you you would want to do the one that people like. But this came out the year after the Phantom Menace. Yeah, but I still I still feel like I don't know. Like the I guess maybe the backlash hadn't hit. I guess maybe we were all just still excited. People like, I remember really liking Episode One the first time I saw it. Yes, people thought they liked. The prequels. I was 17, so... Yeah. No, I remember being so excited for those movies, and being like, Darth Maul, yeah! And then only later did I understand how not good... How rad Darth Maul truly is? Yeah. yeah. I, that said, I, it's, it's still better than episode two. Um, I, but my... Un completely indefensible hot take is that I think episode two is the best one. I think it's the worst one, but yeah, most do, and I, I cannot argue it. But <laughs> I, I like that big, big gladiatorial arena fight a lot. Sure, but I, I like it a lot. Relatively speaking, the moment where I was like, "Oh, these are bad," was in the middle of watching episode two. That's when I had the moment of realization. Anyway, Dungeons and Dragons, this is no game. Begins with our villain. It's not the game Dungeons and Dragons, as you would recognize it. Right. 
our villain, uh, Mage Profion, has infiltrated some kind of... It's not really a dungeon. It's just like a facility or a room. (laughs) Rooms and dragons. It's like a factory. There's like Uh factory shit with gears and stuff. Uh Uh-huh. Anyway, he's... He and his right-hand man, Damodar, played by Bruce Payne, who I swore throughout most of the first part of this movie, I thought was Arnold Vosloo from The Mummy. And from Darkman 2 and Darkman 3. That's right. What Profion is trying to get is this, like, staff-slash-rod-slash- they call it several different things uh, throughout the movie, these things. But it's like a green staff that I guess controls green dragons. And so he, he manages to release it from the... It's in... What is it, that, that thing that it's in? Oh, uh, it's an orrery. An orrery, yeah. For some yeah, reason, this, I have the word ossuary in my head because one scene of this movie takes place in an ossuary um this is happening in a room that i want to point out both the things that are like very not DD, but also the things that are very DD. and this is very DD because it is a room with a weird orrery in the middle of it and a bunch of gears but also there's just fucking skulls everywhere true and that's very DD. that's a, maybe it's a little more warhammer but it is very DD, just like you know yeah, there's skulls. <laughs> yeah. It's until you know it's dangerous. No so other he, in this section. Just skulls. Yes. He removes the the rod from the orrery, and that opens a door, and a dragon comes walking out, and for a minute it looks like Profion is controlling this dragon. Uh, he fully comes when he gets this thing, by the way. Oh, yeah. Jeremy Irons does... Jeremy Irons phoning it in, but like like phoning it in in terms of like how seriously he is um, attempting to act, but not phoning it in in terms of the energy level. He is the energy is there. He is doing a lot of like face work, a lot of teeth work, and when he picks up this this rod, he's like, ah, oh. <laughs> like it's. It's very good. Spoiler for high points. He's the high point. The acting in this movie is all over the map. And we'll talk more about that as we go. But I would say it's all over a map that doesn't have a place on it labeled good. Except for Jeremy Irons. I would say even that's debatable. But, Enjo- but well, okay, not good, but enjoyable. So the rod stops working pretty quickly, and the dragon starts to attack Profion and Damodar. These and dragons so- are like the most Trogdor-ass things. They don't have front legs. They fully have arms. But like weird buff like they're kind of like T-Rexes if T-Rexes have buff arms. That's what they're going for. Also, as with all the CGI in this movie, of which there is a lot, 
it looks like at first I was going to say it looked like PlayStation one graphics, which isn't quite accurate. 2000 was the year of release of the PlayStation two, but it's not quite good enough to be PlayStation two graphics. It's, it's, like a, it's like a P, late PS one cutscene. Yeah. It's like a square soft cutscene. But ultimately, what it reminded me most of is like one of those animated shows you see on like Christian TV. Like this is yeah. I don't know if you're as much of a fan of everything is terrible as I am. Oh, I, look, I I am Matt. You know I am. If you've ever seen the everything is terrible video about the animated movie about the King of the Bees, it's it's like that. Uh-huh. It's exactly like that. It's it might be the worst CGI I've ever seen in a theatrically released movie. It's at least as bad as Mortal Kombat Annihilation. But Mortal Kombat Annihilation only has like bits of CGI here and there. This has like entirely CGI locations like the Phantom Menace. I swear to you, Courtney Solomon saw The Phantom Menace and was like, oh, we could just make a whole castle CGI. And, buddy, did that not work out? Well, the the thing is, Matt, like, you talked about, like, why couldn't they just, why couldn't they just uh, uh, go to a castle? Because they needed the castle to not be ruins. Right, the the one time they went to an actual location that was a castle it's obviously ruins because they filmed a lot of this movie in the area around Prague so it seems like they should have been able to find locations to shoot which I believe is where they filmed Game of Thrones right like that was filmed in Prague some of it I think yeah yeah but like the establishing shots in this movie of Anything that's not a real location, like all the CGI establishing shots, are among the worst I've ever seen. It is bafflingly terrible. Um, But anyway, they have to kill the dragon. They drop a door on it, and they destroy this rod. Because what we'll find out is that what Profion wants is to have a rod that enables him to control dragons so that he can take over the land of Izmir, which is where the movie takes place. Is Izmir a location in any Dungeons and Dragons? No, uh, that's, that's the thing. None of this, like I am on record as being someone who does not care for the forgotten realms role-playing game setting. However, I enjoyed that the new movie was set in the like firmly in the Forgotten Realms, and you get like you know if you if you follow D anD D, you get a lot of like right. This is the stuff. This is this is the stuff we recognize. Waterdeep, Neverwinter, uh, Neverwinter, yeah, all all that good stuff. The, the Red Wizards of Thay, all that is like like continuity, right? One of the weird things about this is they didn't choose to use any of the like established D&D stuff like 
the Forgotten Realms or Greyhawk or or any of the like setting stuff or there's no mentions of like gods or anything uh, in this entire movie. So it's just it's just generic fantasy stuff. It has no connection to D anD. d So this they did put out they didn't even put out a book for it, you know? Yeah, they did like on the website, you could get like some information about the setting. like they, they I remember they put out at, at a at, at the D and d website, you could download like here's here's what if you want to run an adventure in Izmir, but they knew. They knew that no one did. So Izmir has an empress who's played by Thora Birch. She's like a teenager. She's very Padme Amidala. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like Star Wars Episode One. Her whole deal. She's very Padme Amidala, down to acting ability. Or, well, I, I that, that seems meaner than I wanted to seem. I don't want to knock Thora Birch, who is a good actress, but you would not know it from this movie. Yeah, just like you wouldn't know that Natalie Portman is a good actress from the Star Wars movies. Yeah. So, like, if you ever want has... to know about what the importance is of a director, watch Natalie Portman in those Star Wars movies. And watch Thora Birch in this movie. She has a staff that enables her to well, it, hers is called a scepter, and it enables her to control gold dragons, and it is sort of the thing that gives her power as empress to rule the land. Profion wants to get a staff or a rod or a scepter like hers so he can overtake power in the land of Izmir. So he's trying to like go find one, or he's trying to get... The Council of Mages, which is very similar to a Galactic Senate, to cede power to him to force her to give him her scepter that controls gold dragons. Yeah. And she doesn't want to because she wants to reform Izmir because Izmir is a majocracy. The council, the council, the ruling council is all mages. Yeah, and like all of the like, like there is a sharp class divide. Ha ha! Like you know, like D and D, like in D and D, Matt. Like how you have mm-hmm. classes, right? Um, but this is more in the like the sense of economic classes, where people without magic are not in power; they are oppressed. Uh, by people who right. do have magic, which seems the the Dragon Age games, I think, did a, a pretty interesting job of uh, dealing with this kind of setup, and I'm sure that it, this movie will treat it as a complicated problem. This whole conflict, the the movie sort of ducks in and out of it throughout. Whereas, like, so the Council of Mages demands that the Empress hands over her scepter. Like, right at the beginning. And her response to say, like, no, I don't want to hand over my scepter comes, like, 45 minutes later. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Because we're spending so much time with our lead characters who we see 
um, right after the scene with the with the dead dragon. So when that dragon dies, its blood, which is also CGI, flows into the river, and it sets the river on fire. And so our two lead characters, Ridley and Snails, who are both rogues, are watching the river on fire, and they're like, this isn't normal. What's going on? I've never seen a river on fire. Have you? Clearly they're not from Cleveland. Yeah. Um, th- things are things are getting real bad here. So we better do something. And they decide to go rob the local magic school. Like, that's their solution to their problem. They're going to go steal a bunch of stuff from the local magic school. So... They do that, and there's a scene that's played for comedy where they're like finding magic items, and either they're too big for them to steal, like dragon teeth, or Marlon Wayans is doing like a bunch of big physical comedy when they find a, uh, it's like a, an illusion box that has like a dragon skeleton pop out of it. While they're trying to rob the school, a young apprentice named Marina, her name is Marina of Pretensa. She's so pretentious. She's, you know, like when you play Pretensa with your friends as a child, she's like looking for a book and the headmaster of the school is like, you filed the book wrong. This is in... I don't even remember what kinds of magic he says, but it's very like standard issue fantasy stuff. And they hear a noise in the room where the the thieves are stealing everything. So Marina finds Ridley and snails trying to rob the school and tries to stop them. Uh huh. As Damodar who's been sent by Profion is threatening the wizard, like the headmaster wizard who has the map that he needs to try to find this rod that controls red dragons. Yeah. So we know that there's, we know that there's red dragons and gold dragons and green dragons. Which yes. is a and d thing. But, like, that's never really... It's never really, like, brought up. You know? It, like, it's, it's... It's... I feel like they could have explained the deal with dragons a little bit better. <laughs> and but, how they work in this stupid movie. I mean, all we really get is that different dragons are controlled with different magic devices. Yes. That's kind of it. So, because the wizard is being attacked, Marina, Ridley, and Snails have to kind of, like, momentarily team up to get the map that Damodar wants and leave with it. And they escape to a tavern where they meet a dwarf named Elwood, who, as you said, Chris, does absolutely nothing in this movie. Yeah, and is not, like, shorter than anyone else. No, 
maybe very slightly. You're like, like he's shorter than me, and that like you and me are shorter than Ben Gully. Right. He's not like notably shorter than anyone. He's about the same height as Marina. Yes. And the most notable things about Elwood the Dwarf are that he is a filthy boy, he's dirty as hell, and um, also extremely horny. Just like everybody else in this movie. Like, the first thing we see him do is ravenously eat chicken, and it gets all in his beard, and it's gross. Well, the first thing we see him do is that he's sleeping in a pile of trash. Well, yes, because they, they don't meet Elwood at the tra- at the tavern. They meet him, like, in an alley. In the trash. In the trash. Next to a sign that says, No Dwarves Allowed. Because this is a deeply racist society. Yeah, they decided to make a D&D movie about racism. Which is not... Which is not... Impossible. It's it's not like it's I I don't think that is an inherently bad idea. It is a bad idea. The thing is that it's not about racism. It's just everyone has a prejudice against someone. Yeah, that's that's it because cuz you know snails and ridley don't like mages. Right. And the mages think uh think uh, Marina thinks that Ridley and Snails are stupid and common. And uh, poor, yeah. And poor, which is which to be fair, is true. The dwarf is is not allowed in places, but you but look, I kinda get it. He's nasty. He's a nasty boy. He's a very nasty boy. It, it's so weird. Like again, well, that's one well, thing that I appreciated about Honor Among Thieves is that it didn't it like the, the there's there's a thing in there about how like uh the one character got uh kicked out of her house because she's a tiefling and her parents didn't want to raise a tiefling tieflings are like demons like they are they are descendants of demons and it is kind of like a thing in D&D where it's like yeah a lot of people don't trust them for what are obvious reasons <laughs> So yeah. there's a little bit of that in there, and there's a little bit of that in, in D&D in general. But, like, it wasn't a big thing. Whereas here, it's like, this is what the movie's about. Thora Birch, we know, is good because she wants to eliminate the majocracy. And, but all of our characters really have to overcome their, their prejudices. And it's, this movie cannot support that weight. The thing is, like... The the quote unquote good characters, when we first meet them, they have prejudices, and then pretty quickly they just don't have them anymore. Until they need to. Until they need to have them again, right? So like Ridley decides he's not so anti mage after he gets to like Marina, which their romance starts completely off screen. There's just a scene where Marlon Wayans is like, you and her? Are you kidding? And like, we never see any of that start. Because she just goes from being like, you commoners, disgusting, to 
that now they like each other. Yeah. But then later, Ridley's hatred of mages comes back again. <laughs> yeah. Because, because spoiler warning, Snails gets killed. And Snails gets killed by not just a mage, but like a dude with blue lips and like evil black armor. Yeah, Damodar has blue lips. For some reason. Yeah, that's never really... That's not like that's not like a thing either. Uh but like the elf that they meet, the elf tracker, uh Norda, she just blanket hates humans until she decides that Ridley's okay. Ridley and Marina are okay. Mm-hmm. It's there's no like process of overcoming prejudices. They just stop having them. <laughs> it's it's weird. But anyway, at the tavern, they try to come up with a plan to go get this rod, this red dragon rod, to prevent Damodar and Profion from getting it. Meanwhile, Damodar goes back to Profion and is like, I let them get away. It was a mistake. And Profion puts like these like weird they look like Venus flytrap kind of plants in his head that come out of his ears. And the process of casting the spell to put those in his head, in Damodar's head, is gross. Yeah. He 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 gives them the old Rathacon. Yeah, but they're not bugs. They're like plants. It's pretty disgusting. The whole, like, the actor who plays Damodar, Bruce Payne, is making the veins pop out of his bald head so hard. Yeah. That is is also CG accentuated. Oh, for sure. Um, And then throughout the rest of the movie, he has these, like, red vein looking things like made up around his ears to show that he's got this like affliction of whatever these things are. Yeah, he's got like sky blue lips and red ears. Yes. Uh the party reads a, the map that they got from the Mage Academy to determine that in order to get the rod, the red dragon rod, they have to first find the eye of the dragon, the, which the Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish rod. Mm-hmm. It's the it's this basically this huge ruby, and Ridley has to convince Snails to go after it by saying it's a ruby the size of your fist, which leads Marlon Wayans to actually make a fist and look at it and be like that big. Yeah, the thing you need to know about Snails is he's very stupid. He is so easily manipulated by his best friend. Yeah. Um, also, like, there was a lot of, like... there. The, I remember there being, like, a lot of uh, racism towards Marlon Wayans in this movie 23 years ago. Uh, which shouldn't surprise anyone uh, who has paid attention to any casting or films based on things that nerds like. Uh, but also, he is bad in it. 
and, and everyone's bad in it, but like Snails is a poorly written and poorly acted character. Yes. Like it's a lot of mugging. Marlon Wayans is doing a lot of mugging here. Yeah. As like, I feel like how much better would this movie have been if instead of, of Justin Whalen, it was Sean Wayans. So it's just the Wayans brothers as the two leads. Yeah, and because at least they have charisma together, right? They have chemistry, yeah. Yeah, they have chemistry. <laughs> yeah. At least they work together well. So to get the Eye of the Dragon, they know the Eye of the Dragon is under the care of the Thieves Guild in Antius. So they go to this town to try to find the Thieves Guild. This is where they run into that dude who looks like fucking Majin Buu. And the one dungeon in the movie happens. They meet the head of the Thieves Guild. Uh, What is it? Xylus? Xylus with an X. Yeah. Who uh, you might know from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm -hmm. He was actually the writer of the original Rocky Horror Picture Show, Richard O'Brien. Yeah, who uh, plays uh, Riff Raff in the yes. film. Yes. Um, he's he's the head of the Thieves Guild, and he makes Ridley, just Ridley, which will be a theme of the movie, Ridley doing things by himself, go through a maze that has the Eye of the Dragon in the middle of it. And so Ridley solves a few puzzles one with like some swinging axes, one with a room where he has to step on certain tiles in the floor that are red instead of other colors. And yeah, I, there's one other puzzle, right? Uh, I think that's it. <laughs> I think that's it. It's the most kind of D and D that the movie ever gets. Yeah. Like, I said, it's kind of hard in tabletop D and D to do a puzzle based on colors. But I guess if you had a visual aid, you could yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you've got, if you've got, you can put it, you can do handouts. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I think that's, he, he gets through the room with all the eyes that shoot fire that he has to step on the particular colors. Uh, also has a crushing wall. Yes. Which is, is very D and D like the players figured that out a little too quickly. So now this wall is closing in. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, sucks that they this movie betrays such a fundamental misunderstanding of D&D that that they don't put the party in this little dungeon they put the one guy like this is the movie is meant as a Justin Whalen vehicle which I'm gonna say I have my doubts that that could ever work (laughs) So he gets through the maze and gets the eye of the dragon. And as soon as he gets out, uh, Xylus is like, all right, now you have to give it to me because even I couldn't get through the maze, but now you've gotten my prize. So give it to me. And Justin Whalen Ridley says, what about honor among thieves? And Xylus says, I would never have gotten where I am if I ever did anything about honor. And the phrase honor among thieves is 
repeated enough in this movie that it made me think that the new movie has to be like winkingly referencing this. Yeah, there are a couple things that I think are full references to this film in Dungeons and Dragons colon Honor Among Thieves. Uh, but just as this conflict with Xylus is happening, Damodar shows up and attacks again, giving the heroes the opportunity to escape with the Eye of the Dragon, which they do. Like, chaos ensues, and they escape with the Eye of the Dragon. And Xylus is never seen again. Nope, he is. That is a, that is a series wrap on uh, Xylus from the Thieves Guild. Okay, but Damodar does manage to capture Marina in this whole situation, which this is as good a place as any to talk about this. Marina is supposed to be a mage, right? Mm -hmm. She's supposed to be able to do magic, but this movie makes it so that she can't cast spells unless she has a little pouch of magic powder of magic dust. It's not spell components necessarily. It's, if she don't have her magic dust, she can't do spells. Which makes her a damsel in distress multiple times. Right, like, you you hear about this and you're like, okay, so, two thieves, a dwarf, probably barbarian, because he's a nasty boy, uh, and a mage, and then later on they're going to get, like, a, like, an elf ranger friend. And that kind of sounds like D&D. That kind of sounds like a party. Except for no one does anything except for Justin Whalen. Nobody does anything except for Ridley. And, and you would never cast spells. You would never have two rogues, I don't think. You but might have two rogues. Maybe. It's, it, it, I think it's silly that there are two rogues. But whatever. Well, they're not, not for the whole movie. That's true. That is true. Morning until we join you, Snails. Uh, so, Marina gets captured by Damodar. The rest of the party gets captured by Norda, the paladin elf, who is the Empress's tracker, who's been following them the whole time. But it is very quick that Norda comes to their side because they realize that they're all trying to stop Profion. Marina is being held at Damodar's castle, which is the only practical set of a castle, or actual, it's the only actual location of a castle where they shot anything. And Damodar has Marina in a cell. They have a scene where he interrogates her, where they both just, just whisper the whole time. Everything they say is a whisper. Demodar does a lot of whispering. Throughout the movie. Finally, Demodar tries to tell, tries to like win her over via sympathy. And he's like, listen, I, I don't want to hurt anybody, but Profion put these creatures in my head. And he said, if I don't find the rod, he'll kill me. And I don't want to die, so you have to help me. And Marina goes, I can't help you. So he makes the little Venus flytraps come out of his ears and attach to her ears 
And he says, then I'll just suck the information I need out of you. And there's a very sexual scene where he extracts the information about Marina's friends from her head. Yeah. It looks like, it looks like how you might imagine Ferengi pornography. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The party goes to the castle and snails and Ridley go into the, go into the castle to try to free Marina. Elwood and Norda don't. And the way that it's explained why they don't go in to try to free Marina is Norda says something like, this is their quest. We can't go in there. What? I'm amazed that you know these characters' names. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now. Okay. Okay. That's fair. (laughs) But like, what is what? Why can't they go in? This is one of a couple of times where characters are like, oh, oh, dang it. I can't be part of this adventure. I don't understand. Yeah, but Ridley frees Marina and they're running around the castle while Snails fights Damodar. And Damodar beats the piss out of Snails. And, uh, like, it seems like he's got him down for the count when Ridley and Marina show up. And then in front of Ridley and Marina, Damodar stabs Snails, like, through the heart and throws him out of a window. And uh, that leads to Ridley doing a big, no! There is such a bananas tone shift in this too and not again not in the way that you do get like fun tone shifts when characters are in danger in D&D but in that like Snails is like has a heroic last stand where he's like I've never been this serious in my entire life yeah and the shots start getting like artistic like, there's this one shot of snails through a castle window that's, like, trying so hard to be, you know, dramatic and intense in a movie full of absolutely dog shit CGI. Yes. Woof. Uh, anyway, Ridley tries also, to fight. It's very obvious that Damodar cannot move in this hilarious bad guy armor that he has with these, like, <laughs> two-foot epaulets. Uh-huh. Uh, because his his main combat move is just holding his arms out stiff and just kind of rotating his torso uh-huh. to beat you up. He's yeah. like an action figure. He's great. So Ridley tries to fight uh, Damodar and ends up getting stabbed through the shoulder. It, it looks like he's about to die too, but uh, Marina notices a bag of magic dust on the ground that Snails had stolen. And so she picks up the bag of magic dust, fires off one of the only spells she knows, which is like a, it's like an electrify kind of spell. It's it's at, generic magic. Yeah. At Damodar, and then she opens a portal, and they escape. And where they go is just, this isn't even episode one. They go to the fucking 
Ewok village from Return of the Jedi. You know, the houses in the trees, forest moon of Endor set from Return of the Jedi, except it's a CGI green screen, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, There, Ridley gets healed by, like, I guess the King of the Elves. The, the King of the Elves, who's played by Tom Baker. Who's like, who's like, now, we elves don't need to use spells to use magic. And that's not, that's not how anything works. No, that's nonsense. But it is some very Doctor Who dialogue that they gave old Tom Baker, the old fourth Doctor, in yeah. that part. B- big Quattro. This is where Marina, like, so Tom Baker tells Ridley he has to rest. So they have to stay here in the Ewok village for a while. And this is where Marina and Ridley have a big fight about, like, Ridley still hating mages. And she has to give, like, a heartfelt speech about how, you know, not all mages are bad. I'm a mage. Just because one killed your friend doesn't mean we're all like this and Ridley has to accept it. And it is so overacted and melodramatic. It's unbelievable. Literally not all mages. Literally not all mages. Um, Yeah. Finally, they go to not even, they call it a dungeon, but it's a cave where the red dragon controlling rod is. And once again, it's a situation where only Ridley can go in. Like, he goes into the entrance of the cave, and an invisible force field suddenly pops up that prevents everyone else from coming in. Never explained why. Yeah, because you don't want your four adventurers of various races and classes going and having an adventure through a dungeon in your D&D movie. Only Justin Whalen, the star of Dungeons and Dragons. What do you so, think what do you think his demands were? His demands is the star? Yeah. Um that haircut? <laughs> that like middle part haircut? And also he gets that cool black leather outfit he has at the end of the movie? <laughs> Which you called his funeral jerkin. Yes. That's what it is. It's his <laughs> I mean, morning jerkin. <laughs> He's in the cave by himself. It's really poorly lit. He falls through a hole in the floor, but it doesn't matter. He finds the door that he has to put the eye of the dragon in, and he does. That door opens. He goes into a room that's full of treasure. He starts to try to steal the treasure, but then he stops himself. And he's like, sorry about that, Snails. And then, because Snails has been stealing stuff, anything he sees throughout the movie. Yeah, there's an, um, like, should I save it for High Points, the incredible line about thieves that we get from Damodar? Yeah, save that, save that. Okay. But one thing about Snails is he is a kleptomaniac. He's just stealing anything he sees. As, as, even if it's not useful to him at all. Like, in the town where the Thieves Guild is, he's stealing, like, candles and mugs and anything he can get his hands on. At one point, he has 
what is it that he has on his head? Like a pair of socks? Boots. He has a full pair of boots on his head. Yeah. Which Just, which means that they're kind of they're like joined together because he's wearing them like like puppy ears. Yeah. Which means that they're like joined together like he found them at Target. Yeah, they're on a hanger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Finally, Ridley in the cave comes across uh, the skeleton, the dead body, the corpse of the guy who made the red staff. And he says, ah, yes. Are, are you worthy of the red staff? I've been cursed to stay in this chamber and determine whoever can take this because I tried to control the red dragons. Are you worthy of it? And Ridley says, I don't know if anybody is. And he grabs the staff and starts to take it out of the guy's hands. And the guy's like, just know that whoever uses this, there will be dire consequences for anyone who tries, which is never followed up on in any way. It feels like that, like that feels like the setup for something that's very very indie to have like the guardian of this thing be like, are you worthy of it? And then the correct answer is to be like, I don't think anybody's worthy of it. And then it like, gives it to him yeah and it's like cool okay so that's this guy's deal but he goes i don't know if anybody's worthy of it but i am gonna take it yeah and maybe use it so it's, yeah i will say this that skeleton puppet is the best special effect in the movie by a long shot if only they had bothered to try to sync up its mouth to the fact that it was talking even then, it's still better than any other special effect in the movie, by quite a distance. He leaves with the staff, and he also apparently gets the Eye of the Dragon back out of the door, because he will have it later in the movie. He doesn't fight anything in there, does he? There's no, like, no, encounter. He literally like, falls down a hole and it takes him right to the door. Right, but then he doesn't fight anything on the way out either, right? No, no, we, we just see him wander out. He doesn't yeah, even have he, to get around that force field that kept him trapped in. There's a bunch of paintings of red dragons, and he looks at those for a minute. Yeah, and he goes, yeah. why do they have like human arms? That's <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> he walks out, and uh, Damodar is there holding the party hostage. And he's like, all right, give me, the, give me the rod right now, or I'll kill everybody. Look, I cut your girlfriend, Marina. And he like makes a small cut like right below her neck, which is different sizes in different shots. Very funny. Then it cuts to, it is the most jarring cut to a huge battle on a big CGI tower where Profion and all the other mages are being attacked by the Empress's gold dragons. Like the battle has started. Just out of nowhere, there is now a battle happening where a bunch of gold dragons are attacking these mages. Damodar threatens to kill everybody, but the party gets a little bit of an upper hand and starts fighting back, so Damodar just makes a portal and escapes to the tower where Profion is. He hands the red staff, the red rod, over to Profion, and then Damodar's like, You said you would take these things out of my head. You said you would cure me if I found this for you. So Profion quickly does that for him. 
like gets rid of the red veiny stuff around his ears. And then the battle is on where it's a bunch of gold dragons and a bunch of red dragons that are all the worst CGI you've ever seen fighting each other. Very bad. Woof. Very bad. Ridley pops in through a portal with no explanation of how he got there. By I'm the not way. sure how anybody portals. I, I mean, I guess Marina knows the portal spell. Like we've seen her cast it a couple times. Yeah. But it is like they didn't do anything to stop them from following, I guess. And, but like, how would she know where to send him? I don't know. <laughs> Matt, I just. I mean, I guess they're in a pretty public place. They're like at the top of like you. If if all you need to do is know what it is, you could probably like you know send me to the White House. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, or the Statue of Liberty. You know, it's a famous building in the town they're all from. Anyway, Matt, open up a portal of Bojangles. <laughs> Which one? Um. Anyway, they they eventually like Ridley portals to the tower and then the rest of the party shows up at the tower eventually there's a big sword fight between ridley and damodar where every time their swords hit they are surrounded by red and blue light and it's like this close to lightsaber sounds because their swords are now like they have like glowing lightning on them it's yeah. very it's it's very Star Wars. It's literally red and blue. Yes. Uh and earlier in the movie, you pointed out that I think some music that hit when Damodar entered a room was like one note away from the Imperial March. <laughs> he goes bomb bomb bomb. And then nothing. And then a different note, yeah. yeah it's, it's like it's so they, close. John Williams on the phone with his lawyer. They have this sword fight for a while. It looks like the party is defeated, but then as uh, Profion is going mad with power, Ridley, like at some point he drops the red rod, which I don't know why he would do that, but he does. And Ridley is able to get it. And it looks for a minute like he's going to try to control the dragons. But instead, he just throws the rod on the ground and smashes it with his sword. And it smashes like it's nothing. It smashes so easily. Yeah. Really got to watch out. Like A lot of people out there are trying to get you to buy some pretty fragile magic ob- objects. Then the Empress rolls up and she uses her scepter to make a gold dragon eat Profion. Oh, well, there's, a, there's a whole big thing where uh, Ridley has the, the rod and Marina, the wizard, the, the high intelligence character goes, like, get fucking murder him with those dragons. She's like, bring them down on him. And we get a thing where he's like, no. I won't become you. It's, yeah. It's a very good Star Wars. Finally, Ridley and the rest of the party are in a graveyard and they're looking at the sort of makeshift grave for snails. 
which is just like a bunch of rocks stacked up with snails carved into one of them. Uh huh. And he leans down and starts talking to the grave for a second, and he takes the eye of the dragon out of his pocket, and he lays it down by the grave and says, This is for you, man. I know it's what you wanted, which is not true. It's not what Snails wanted. It's what Ridley wanted. The name Snails gets erased from the rock, and they all turn into little beams of light and fly away, and that's the end of the movie. With the implication that Snails has been revived somewhere. Yeah, presumably in that grave. <laughs> like, it, as soon as that magic happened, I would have started digging. <laughs> but the ruby teleports them to wherever, I guess. Hopefully Snails is there. All right, Chris, what high points do we have for 2000's Dungeons & Dragons? The absolute commitment of Jeremy Irons to just going again it's not good acting it's a lot of acting <laughs> and but but like matt i don't usually request this but if you could just drop the uh, let their blood rain from the sky here let their blood rain from the sky! and realize that that is the that is the peak of his acting but it's not that much higher than the the level he's bringing in every other scene. Yeah, it's he's 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 not doing the best acting, but he is doing as much acting as he can. Yeah. Uh also, it's hard to see where the money went in this other than directly into Jeremy Irons' pockets. Yes. But I will say Weirdly enough, one of the characters that we see the least, uh, the Thora Birch character, the Empress, has great costuming. Her costumes always look good. Much like Padme Amidala. They're very elaborate. They're very Amidala-esque. Yes. But like when she is like in court and she has this like kind of dragon claw thing on her back that's like coming up. I guess it's a collar, but it's like it's like a purely decorative thing. Like she looks pretty cool. And even when she's in battle and she's got the, uh, the Scott Steiner, uh, chainmail headdress and like the scale mail armor, like she looks pretty cool. Yeah. Which he's telling Profion that he's got a 33 and one third percent chance of winning. Yeah. Because Demidar knows he can't beat me. Uh, like she looks pretty good. Everybody else looks like they are, they have passable costumes to the run fair. Yeah, the, some of the costumes are pretty good. Some are really bad. Yeah. But there are a handful of good costumes. Like, Marina gets a new costume in the Ewok village that looks pretty good. Do you really? You like the little patchwork vest? Yeah, I think it looks all right. I think it's Damn, way better God. than her other costume. Well, her other costume is just, like, close. <laughs> like... She's very much like, what do I have in the closet that I can wear to the Ren Fair? Yeah. I also think Jeremy Irons' costumes are not bad. No, but they're very, like... Their costumes are very, like, stock fantasy movie costumes. Uh, yes. Damodar, in particular, true. like... It's not a terrible costume, but it's just like, oh yeah, that's what a bad guy looks like in a fantasy movie. Uh, Thora Birch's costuming actually looks cool. Yeah, that that's true. Uh, I'll also say that... 
skeleton puppet was great. I I legit thought the skeleton puppet was really like a good practical effect. There is also a line that I can't I honestly don't know if it's a great line or a terrible line. Uh and that is when Damodar uh and I'm going to try and get the quote exactly right. But Damodar says, "You thieves always taking things that don't belong to you." Yeah, dog, that is the definition. That is what that word means. If they did that do that, they, a thief is. if they did do that, they wouldn't be a thief. Yeah. You bakers always making. I know we have quite a few low points for this movie. So I, I'll start with a couple, Chris. The lighting is terrible. The lighting is bad. As like, is movie fighters tradition. Add another movie fighters movie to the list of movies with poor lighting. This is one of them. Uh, the acting, as we mentioned, all over the map. Justin Whalen is overacting so much. Same of Zoe McClellan, who plays Marina. The guy who's playing Elwood is also like doing too much and also not enough simultaneously. Yeah. He talks Nord- to the camera at one point. He does. He says, what is it? That, what is the line? Uh, uh, he that, says, that's no way to do business. That's no way to do business. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Kristen Wilson, who plays Norda, is like sleepwalking. He's not acting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Damodar, sp- the way he speaks is infuriating. He takes so long to get a line out, and he whispers everything. It's not, I did not enjoy his performance. And then Thora Birch, as we said, I mean, this is evident throughout the movie, but it's especially evident with Thora Birch. These actors needed a director. Yeah. Like, I I think you can pretty much blame it, uh, lay the blame at the feet of the director. But, like, also, Justin Whalen leading man was never going to happen, and I'm sorry. Like, that's, I'm sorry. It's like, true. I hate to be the one to have to say that. It's Weirdly true. enough, I think the best and most consistent acting does come from Marlon Wayans, who is still very bad. I would say the best and most consistent acting is Jeremy Irons, because he's he's at 11 through the whole movie. That's oh. That's true. He's committed. Also, Richard O'Brien is just at least clearly having fun. What does he? What, what does he say? He calls uh, uh, Marina something. It's like my little morsel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He does do, that. Character does do an awful thing when he first meets Marina, which is like he like slaps her on the butt like first thing, and no bueno. That's but, just hey. That's just the raw, uncontrolled heterosexuality of Richard <laughs> O'Brien. <laughs> Uh, but 
yeah, th- there's there's such a gamut of bad acting. The special effects we've discussed are just throw them in the trash. Bad. Like, here's here's what I'll say is bad about this film that is mostly visuals and sound. Uh, the visuals and the sound. Uh, yes. Yeah. I would say visuals, bad. Sound, not great. Acting, pretty terrible. Writing, no good. Um, directing, bad. Uh, cinematography, pretty rough. Um, yeah, like, I... It's... I don't think it's the 29th worst movie ever made. That's ridiculous. But I... It is rare to see a movie made by professionals where everything is as thoroughly bad as it is in this. Yeah. Yeah, I... I must agree. It's kind of amazing that this did not kill the brand. Well, I mean, it killed the brand of Dungeons & Dragons movies for... theatrical movies for 23 years. That's true. They had to wait until it was at the height of its popularity to take another stab at it. Yeah, they... I mean, they were lucky to get a Sci-Fi Channel original after that. So, Chris, we're starting to say our final thoughts about the movie, so let's just give our final thoughts about the movie. I don't... I've said this before, and I think it applies to any media adaptation of Dungeons & Dragons, because it applies to comics, it applies to uh, movies, cartoons, anything, that they novels, anything that they want to do. It's tough, because if you don't have that love of it, and you don't understand what makes it work, all D&D is, is generic fantasy. What makes it fun is that stuff that makes it feel like a game. Uh, we've talked about the John Rogers and Andre DeVito D&D comic, and the Jim Zub D&D comics, and how those feel like you can imagine the people behind the characters. You can't imagine the people behind the characters in this because no one makes decisions or acts like a person would would do. Well, and that leads me to mention something I talked about when we were watching the movie, which is that the thing that's missing for our lead characters in this movie is th- this isn't just too true of a D&D movie it would be true of any movie or story characters need to want something yeah one of the best things about the new Dungeons and Dragons movie is that all the characters have very clear wants like Chris Pine's character wants to be reunited with his daughter and that is his main motivating force throughout that movie, right? Michelle Rodriguez wants just some kind of family. The 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 I can't I don't remember any of the characters' names, but the like the sorcerer guy wants to be accepted and and wants to achieve something as a sorcerer. The tiefling wants the acceptance of her family. 
like every character has a clear want and desire that they're seeking out by going on this adventure. Nobody in this movie wants anything. Correct. Like, except they're horny. Like, there are a lot of characters that are horny, and the the only character who really has, like, a clear want is Profion, who wants to take over the the city, take over the the country, right? He wants to let the blood rain from the sky. That's right. But, like, what does Ridley want? Imagine, a big ruby? Imagine playing... You, you imagine playing the campaign of Dungeons and Dragons Honor Amongst Thieves, where you've got to track down a magic item so that you can get into this vault so that you can stop the bad guy from doing a thing. Uh, and everybody, you know, like, I'll hold off the bad guys, you guys cast the spell, uh, let's distract him, then let's all fight the bad guy at once, uh, let's all do that stuff. Imagine playing the campaign of this movie. Where if you're not playing Ridley, you're fucked. And if you're playing Ridley, you have to do everything. Not fun. Yeah. Like, no wonder a dude gets killed. He tries to fight a bad guy alone in a D&D movie. Those challenges are balanced for four players, dude. It's just... It's nonsense. It's, like... This movie... Tries to do a thing where it starts in the middle of the story, which is not always a bad idea, right? Mm -hmm. But in doing so, none of the characters get developed at all. And and by that I mean the protagonists. Like weirdly, the ant the antagonists get developed way more. Yeah, and uh, which that's upside what, down. To what you were saying, Matt. Uh, if you ever want to have like a fun time playing D anD. d like if you haven't played D anD D and you want to give it a shot, and you're like, "Well, what do I, what do I do for a a character?" Like the the racing class of your character don't matter as far as having fun, as much as what does my character want and what is their flaw. Meadow was great to play because Meadow had a want, uh, and that was to prove that she was the best fighter in the universe. And Meadow had a flaw, which is that she was physically incapable of lying. Yeah. If if you give your characters these things that aren't just, like, the generic stuff of, like, oh, they're a thief, so they want to steal stuff. Like, if you can get past that basic, they, they're this, so they do this, it will be much better for it. Yeah, very much so. Uh, this movie is bad and is not how you should play D&D. Absolutely not. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you haven't seen the movie, you can go watch it on YouTube, but I would not advise. Yeah, no, don't. It's bad. But do go watch Jeremy Irons say, let the blood rain from the sky. Uh, We will be back in June, my birthday month, with another movie. I'm turning forty, so we need a good turning forty movie. Oh man, do you want to watch? Do you want to watch? Uh, what what is Wild Hogs? <laughs> <laughs> Eighty for Brady. What do you want to watch?
Uh, to, we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, in the meantime, and we'll be back next month with Snack Situation. In the meantime, uh, you can follow follow us on Tumblr at moviefighterscast.tumblr.com. You can email us, let us know suggestions for movies at moviefighterscast.tumblr.com. This show and all the shows we do for Clytus Media are supported on our Patreon, which you can find by going to patreon.com slash Ajax. And you can kick in as little as a dollar a month there to keep this show going, as well as all the other Clytus Media shows. If you want to find me and my stuff, go to mattdwilson.net. You can find links there too. My books, my comics, my other podcasts, and my social medias. Chris, where can people find you? Everybody can find me by going to tat-isb.com. That is my website, and it's got links to everything. We will see you soon, everybody. Thanks for listening. Until next time, everybody. Keep on fighting. <laughs>